You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win! Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown! Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I have completely given up on my endeavor to start each show with a new introduction because this is me and this is who I am. My name is Maggie Loney. I'm joined as always by Perry Goldstein. And today, because the Packers are enjoying a bye week, waiting until the divisional round of the playoffs to host an opponent at Lambeau Field, we thought we would go through um, episode 20. We did a progression and regression or progression or regression episode where we tried to kind of predict if we thought Packers players would have better seasons um, statistically this season or if last season would be a better year for them. So we're just going to kind of run through some of those uh, from players on offense and defense, see how we compared and give what our predictions were and see if they were even remotely close. And spoiler alert, a lot of them were actually pretty close. So Perry, let's get things started right away with uh, the what we believe is the 2020 NFL MVP in Aaron Charles Rogers. Yeah. So it's an interesting comparison because last season he didn't necessarily have a bad season, but again, he didn't really look like the caliber in which we're accustomed to watching Aaron Rodgers play. And I think you and I both had said like, he's going to be himself and he'll progress. But I think, Literally verbatim, we said, you know, we're probably not going to see an MVP 2011-2014 Rodgers because who could have predicted that? Um, and yet here we are, and Aaron Rodgers did have another sort of MVP-level season. Um, completion percentage of 70.7% up from 62 last season, which I think is like a the largest jump. Um, he still hit his 4,000 yards in 2019, but he had almost 4,300. I think another sort of big uh, kind of eyebrow raising change from last year to this year is he had 26 touchdowns last season, 48 touchdowns this season. So that is obviously, you know, you know, we have the Packers have the highest uh, scoring offense in the league. That's why Aaron Rodgers is throwing touchdowns. Um, Still the most uh, turnover adverse quarterback in the league with five interceptions and a quarterback rating of 121.5 to his 95.4. So we predicted a progression in the sense that you're going from year one to year two under a new scheme, getting more comfortable, um, having some of his, his weapons step up, which we also saw and obviously leads to a better, a better year for Aaron Rodgers. But I think we got 
in Aaron Rodgers that we thought that we would never see again in the 2020 season. So um, a, a greater progression than I think we could have ever predicted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was really funny to hear us talk about it in the preseason or, you know, before the season started, since there wasn't technically a preseason, just about like, we expect to see more efficiency and we think he'll spread the ball around and he has all these different weapons. And it it was kind of funny then to see like how much he really raised the bar. You know, we had said like, Oh, he's Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have a good season, but this to have 22 more touchdowns and then add three on the ground was, I think, something that nobody could have predicted in an article for she said TV. I had said, I don't think there's any way he hits 400 touchdowns this season because historically he doesn't really throw more than 35 and he needed 36. And here we are with him having 51 total touchdowns. So let's jump to the other Aaron, Aaron Jones. You particularly had some really good comments on this one. Um, Just kind of talking about his career arc and we had both, Pretty much agreed. His touchdown total likely not going to happen again. 19 total touchdowns is huge for a running back, but I believe the terminology we used was a healthy regression for Mr. Aaron Jones, given that he probably wouldn't exceed certain statistical categories, but there would be more spread the ball around on the offense and he would be more productive in other ways. Yeah. Well, I think when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball at the at the level that he is in the 2020 season, then you're not going to see, you know, you're running back as much as we, I think as the Packers featured Aaron Jones in the 2019 season. Um, and it's interesting because the whole narrative this season is Aaron Rodgers MVP. Devonte Adams is having, you know, one of the best seasons of a wide receiver ever um, on the low. He's having like a Randy Moss level season, literally. So Aaron Jones has kind of gotten lost a little bit in the shuffle, but not because he isn't producing. Um, And it was, I think, just like you said, a a healthy regression, right? He has um, kind of like 35 less rushes, but same number of yards, um, definitely less touchdowns. But again, when your red zone threats are, have become this season, you know, Devonte Adams and big Bob Tunyon, Aaron, Aaron Jones just gets less rushing touchdowns. Um, the thing that I think that we both predicted, which is I'm glad to see came to fruition was he has more yards per carry, um, like more yards per attempt. Um, and so that to me is a progression, even if he has somewhat of a few less, you know, yards from scrimmage, he wasn't featured as much in the passing game as he was last season. Um, and he played less offensive snaps. So again, they're, they're keeping his body healthier and rotating in Jamal Williams and, you know, a little bit, a sprinkling of AJ Dillon here and there. So um, it's more backfield by committee to quote you. Um, But it doesn't necessarily mean at all that he's not productive because he is actually carrying the ball further per carry. So just a different, a different usage of Aaron Jones this season um, than we saw in 2019. Yeah. And I think this really ties into Matt LaFleur's scheme and kind of seeing those running lanes open up in the second year of that scheme you know they talk about Packers wide receivers and tight ends being very willing blockers and just having a better understanding of the scheme you know Aaron Jones you had said his yards per carry it's up from 4.6 to 5.5 and 5.5 right now I think is like a historic number and you know I don't know if that's sustainable long term but on a season that's really exceptional and you know having those fresh legs especially come playoff time when you have Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon and a ton of guys that you can kind of rotate in there. He's making the most of his opportunities. And in a contract year, I think he's doing exactly what he needed to do. 
Um, so then we had Devonte Adams, who obviously we both had predicted some type of progression from him. He always seems to end his season at 997 yards and just a little shy of a thousand. He was injured for a little bit of 2019 dealing with the turf toe. Uh, he had really started to come on strong during the playoff push, had finished his season with five total touchdowns. So you had both said, obviously he'll have over a thousand yards. I said over eight touchdowns, said over 10 touchdowns. So you can take it from here. I mean, this is just, this was a record breaking season for him. Yeah. When I, when I predicted a thousand yards, 10 touchdowns in my head, I was like, that feels like a lofty, a lofty prediction, but let's go with it. And he completely blew us out of the water. I mean, it, it's one of those things. And I think I said this on pack a day, you know, sometimes when you're watching greatness, you don't realize that you're watching greatness until afterwards. And you look back and you say, oh, wow, you know, that really was something. And I think this season for Devontae Adams is one of those rare moments where you actually are aware of what you are watching while you were watching it, because it has been just that special. And never in a million years would I ever thought that there would be another receiver where Aaron Rodgers would have the kind of relationship and connection and chemistry on the field that he does um, since Jordy. And yet again, here we are with Devontae Adams, who has now surpassed the catches with Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's now had the best season uh, in Packers franchise history since Sterling Sharp, which is just unbelievable. So to to do it all, too, in a season where he still missed time, he only played 13 and a half games, 75% of offensive snaps, um, has been remarkable. And he just keeps ascending. Uh, you know, we predicted Pro Bowl. I think he's, he's pretty much a guaranteed all-pro um, and likely has a shot at a Lombardi. So he's been more than just like the production and the stat line that we could read you. You, you, you can't deny or really describe what he brings to this team. You know, he is a centerpiece. If not for Aaron, if not for Aaron Rodgers, I'd say he's the most important player on this team. Um, and he if and when, you know, they win the Super Bowl at any point, like you can directly point to what Devontae Adams has done this year and say, you know, it, it is because of him. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've heard from a lot of players this season that it's really special for a number of reasons. And we've talked about this where there's the element of we didn't know if this was going to happen as a season, given the literal pandemic that we find ourselves in. Uh, but I think kind of what you said earlier about appreciating it in the moment, it's been a lot easier to do that because there aren't fans and there aren't as many distractions. So you're kind of watching it with a more specific eye. And we can just see the way that Aaron Rodgers and Devonte get along and the cohesion of the team and how special it is. Like the two of them know what they're doing right now is historic. Yeah. And yeah. to end of the season that way, I think was really special for both of them. Yeah. And I think like also the difference between any season that Devonte has had in this season is that I feel like in the, at least he has said, like, there's always more that I can work on. Like, I'm still working on my craft. That's been something that he's been saying for years. And then you get to the season and you really look at everything. And he's just like the most complete receiver that there is. He if you look at like sort of the route tree, sometimes I think Zach Cruz posts these photos of Devonte Adams route routes ran during a game and very few receivers do what Devonte Adams does, which is run every single route in a tree, short yardage, middle of the field, 
deep shots, end zone, everything. He does everything. Um, and I, I haven't seen a receiver that complete on the Packers roster in a really long time. Um, and someone that, like we said, is just has the chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. They, um, it's just, it was special to watch, especially a guy who didn't have the strongest start to his career, wasn't an immediate impact player. People didn't know if he would ever become anything. Um, and yet here he is as one of the best in franchise history. Yeah. And I mean, I think my favorite story from Devante this season, who has been exceptional in the media has been, uh, him saying that he wants to make sure that all of his photos don't have a defender in them. Like he just is so sure of himself that his goal is always to be the only one in the photo. So you can't tell when he's scoring, if it was in pregame warmups or on the field, because he wants to burn DBs that bad. And I think that's just a fantastic attitude, but Obviously, I know you can, I could talk about Devontae Adams for a long time. So I'm going to kind of lump these next two together because I think that we were really spot on with our ideas about what wide receiver two would contribute, but we weren't necessarily sure of who wide receiver two would be. And I think it could have been Alan Lazard, but obviously he was dealing with some injuries. So for our predictions, uh, we're going to combine Alan Lazard and MVS here. Um, we had basically said whoever is wide receiver two for this Packers team expect between 600 and 800 yards and um, a nice healthy touchdown contribution, potentially something like six. So we can talk about Alan Lazard first. Um, I think you and I going into the season had expected it to be Alan Lazard as wide receiver too. Um, we also recorded this episode before Devin Funches opted out. So we did uh, give some numbers for Devin Funches, but you know, his numbers are almost identical in 2020 than they were in 2019. And I know a large part of that is probably due to the the nagging injury. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think if Alan Lazard had had a full season, he would have definitely at least surpassed the 500 yard mark. Um, you could tell since he came back from that core muscle surgery that he's just been a little bit, not just not the same player, um, probably played in a little bit more limited snaps which makes sense. It's not an injury that you kind of want to mess around with, uh, especially, you know, he had surgery midseason and came back to play. I think that in and of itself is a big deal. Um, and yes, I think we both thought that it would be Alan Lazard and, and who would have the, like you said, sort of 600 to 800 yard season. It ended up being MVS. I don't think it was necessarily like we cared too much who it was just that we felt like if there was a receiver who ended up somewhere in there, that that would really propel the offense forward in a nice way. And so it ended up being MVS, I think mainly because he was just healthy all season and he had, he reached that 690, six touchdowns, um, somehow had more yards per reception this season at 20.9. Obviously he's the deep shot guy. Um, but I think, more than anything, it was important to understand, like, where do each of these pieces fit in the offense? We know Devontae Adams is the guy. He's number one. We know where Aaron Jones fits as running back one. But, like, where does everyone else fit? And I think that that has, question has kind of been answered in that Alan Lazard is a staple. He's really important in the run blocking game and in the blocking game in general. And he's kind of a, a security blanket at times on third down. Marquez Valdez-Gantling really tests the defense vertically. He He's made enough plays and has been a little bit more consistent than 2019, enough so that defenses can't ignore. They have to respect what he can do on the field. And that in of itself between the two of them has made it so that Aaron Rodgers can spread the ball around, hit anybody he wants when he wants, and... um just really 
really stress defenses. Yeah, and one of the things we had talked about in uh, the episode 20 was kind of what happens with MBS. And one of the things that we said was a progression for him doesn't necessarily mean it's a statistical progression as much as he improves his hands, he improves the way that he fits into this offense. And I think that that is something we saw a lot of. And one common theme that we haven't really touched on necessarily specifically in the podcast is that every single receiver has improved their catch percentage. And we'll talk about that next when we talk about the tight ends. But some of the numbers, like Devontae Adams had the best catch percentage of his career. Um, MVS, you can't tell as much because it went from 46% to 52%. But some of these guys made some pretty dramatic strides, almost 10% more um, in their catch percentages. And, you know, whether that's Aaron Rodgers having a better season, putting the ball in a better spot, I think there's more continuity in the offense, of course. So you're seeing guys on the same page, but that was definitely an underrated aspect of this season was that guys were pretty much catching everything that came their way. Um, so the last little piece of this offense, before we switch to the defense, we had talked about the tight end position and you and I had talked about Jay Sternberger uh, couldn't really give a stat prediction for him um, from 2019 because he didn't really play until the postseason. Uh, but we did talk about what our expectations were for the tight end position in Green Bay. And, you know, obviously it ended up not being Jay Sternberger, but Robert Tunyon. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts, I guess, even on the on the tight end position as a whole and kind of what that looked like compared to what we thought it would going into the season? Yeah, the tight end position has been somewhat of a revolving door. I feel like kind of like the safety position in a way, just haven't been able to like nail down a player or two that is consistent and featured uh, since Jermichael Finley. And yeah, we maybe got a little bit of that in Jared Cook, but again, that was just a year. And so it's just been the kind of this like search through the desert, if you will, of like trying to find like that dude. Um and that dude emerged in 2020 as Big Bob Tunyon. And again, like I think we thought it was Jace. I think naturally you think of the guy that gets drafted, you know, third round pick. You hope your draft pick lands in that way. I still think that there is a possibility with Jace. Again, he had some unfortunate injury and COVID um, issues in 2020 that just kept him off the field too inconsistently. Um, but yeah, Bob emerged. And I, I think when Aaron Rodgers has a consistent tight end weapon, uh, attack the middle of the field, a red zone threat. I mean, Robert Tunyon had 11 touchdowns this season, which is, yeah, you have it here, tied Paul Kaufman's franchise record. I mean, we, like I said, we have not had a tight end like him in a very long time. And again, it just adds to this illusion of complexity, the idea of having versatile weapons, um, things that Matt LaFleur loves to do and, I think that there's a, we've talked about a ton, just like a trust thing with Aaron Rodgers. He's one of those quarterbacks. You just, you have to have that relationship and that connection. He has to know that, you know, what's going on at all times. And I think Robert Tunyon became that this season for him at the tight end position. Blocking is a huge, huge, huge part of this offense and all of the tight ends, Mercedes Lewis, Bob, Jace, all of them, you know, block their asses off for lack of a better term. So I think that it's just, Again, like this idea of the evolution of the Matt LaFleur from year one to year two being sort of fully complete, you know, you see that tight end position really emerge. You know, this isn't McCarthy anymore. This isn't 11 personnel for 75% of snaps. Like this is a lot of 12 and 21 and 22. And when we get Josiah DeGuara back, you know, who knows the, the sky's the limit. So um, I, I think the tight end position in general just became like a very exciting 
um, progression and prospect that has led to this offense being able to run the way that it has successfully. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to call it an underrated aspect of the season. It's something I don't think any of us really expected, but it became kind of a hidden strength of the team. You know, they were always searching for a tight end. They drafted Jason the third round, third round. They drafted Josiah DeGuara, and unfortunately he got hurt. But it kind of became like a quiet strength of the team. And we talked about this a little bit in the DMs, like wondering what the tight end position is going to look like next season because you have Jay Sternberger and Robert Tunyon and Josiah DeGuara will be back. And now you have Dominique Daphne who came out of nowhere and looks really good and players can't say enough about him. And then if big dog comes back, like you went from maybe having two tight ends on your roster to having five really viable options. And one of the things that we had said about the tight end position was kind of, how does it compare to Jimmy Graham? Right? Because he was the guy that they had for the last two seasons. And one of the things we had said here was you want your tight end you know, if you're replacing a guy like Jimmy Graham to put up 500 to 600 yards, four or five touchdowns, that's kind of going to be the threshold in this offense. And we saw Robert Tunyon basically nail that yard range and then far exceed that touchdown total. So I think it was just a really unexpected bonus for this offense to get that level of production from their tight ends. Um, so now we can switch uh, to the defensive side of the ball. There's more players to talk about here. Um, I think we were just really excited when we did this last time. And there was mm-hmm. a lot to talk about here for the defense. High expectations. Well, I yeah. think first before we switch, right, like just in general, there wasn't expectations that the offense would take a step forward. And yeah. I think uh, obviously it did. Um, but something that we repeated all the time was it's going to be a better team with worse record. And yet it's a better team with the same record. <laughs> And just the just the idea, right, like that this team has completely exceeded any and all expectations is an understatement. Uh, you know, you it's hard to predict and feel confident going into an in an offseason saying, um, yeah, I think the Packer, Green Bay Packers offense is going to be the best offense in the league. Um, so and then it turned out that it was. And that's one of the things we said too, is like, you know, we called the game progression regression, but what you were looking for was a healthy jump on offense from year one to year two. And some of the grades or the the predictions that we made for the defense were harder because you already felt like they were more holistically close to what we expected them to be. So even though they did make improvements and a lot of the players looked better, it was still, the expectations were much higher that this offense would look better going into year two of Matt LaFleur's scheme. Right. Very well said. Thanks. So let's, uh, let's jump to Kenny Clark because I don't know if it was necessarily, um, I guess we called it a, a regression and not, we'll cheat again, like Aaron Jones, kind of a healthy regression where the hope was if you get contributions from guys like Kings and Kiki and Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster, then he won't need to play the role that he did play in 2019. 84% of defensive snaps was just astronomical for him. And seemed like probably too much of a workload on his shoulders. And of course, now the Packers have a bunch of snacks to get ready uh, for the playoffs. But yeah, so what are are your thoughts on Kenny Clark specifically and how his 2020 season shook out? Yeah, it's interesting to be like somewhat disappointed in a player like Kenny Clark because he still is so productive. And maybe it is just because, right, his defensive snaps went down and it's, it's because other guys on the line were producing. And I think he's Mr. December a little bit, right? Like this last couple of weeks, he's really emerged to be the Kenny Clark that we know and love and the one that, you know, when he gets a $75 million contract, you're like, yes, you deserve that. Like that's the Kenny Clark we're watching. And he did 
unfortunately go down, I think it was week one with an injury. So anytime you have to come back from an injury and you miss time, it's going to take a bit to sort of get back into sort of the groove of playing a lot. But I think it's exactly what we predicted, right? He, he played less. Um, he regressed a little bit in terms of like a stat line, um, stat line numbers perspective, but he's still incredibly dominant. And it's still one of those, I think it's like when you have the respect of another team, it's like an Aaron Donald. Like when you go into a game and I'm not comparing Kenny Clark to an Aaron Donald, I'm just saying like you go into a game and you're like, Oh yeah, you know that you need to take care of 99. Like, you know that you need to take care of 97. He has garnered the respect of an offense to know that you have to take care of Kenny Clark. And so it's he still gets the doubles and he still gets the kind of respect of the offensive line in the same vein. And it's allowed other guys who we'll talk about, I think in a bit are our pass rushers to get home. Um, but it hasn't necessarily translated to the stats that we saw in 2019, but that doesn't mean that he's not producing. Yeah. And that's, that's like where snacks comes into this too. Now talking about the postseason, and, you know, his numbers will never jump off the stat sheet at you because snacks by default is a run stuffer and he doesn't really have a ton of tackles. He's not going to have a ton of sacks. He's just kind of a big body to eat up blocks. And I think we're going to see from him in a more traditional sense. Now, what we've wanted next to Kenny Clark, because even guys like Kingsley Kiki, we've seen they're better suited to rush the passer. And that's not to say that they can't stop the run, but it just seems like now the Packers finally have somebody on the roster who is actually suited to be that dominant run stuffer. But um, we can kind of lump these three together. We talked about Zadarius Smith and, you know, I really liked it. You said, I don't know if there's any way that he can exceed the season that he had in 2019. So by nature, it has to be a regression because those were just absurd numbers. But, you know, we talked, but he got close. He did. I mean, he was away. far off. Yeah. So then, you know, Preston Smith, I think would be, one of the negatives there, but yeah, we talked about, you know, with Zedarius and Preston and Rashawn, what we wanted to see kind of from that trio is Rashawn taking a more emerging role in the defense. And, you know, we didn't necessarily see Z and Preston rotate out as much as I think we thought we would. Um, Zedarius Smith still played 84% of snaps in 2020 after playing that in 2019 and Preston still played 79% of snaps in 2020. So we saw Rashawn's looks improve, but I kind of want to give you the floor here because I know that you have always been a huge Rashawn fan. And I thought that if you, if you look at his 2020 numbers, they were just fantastic. Yeah. Seeing the jump like on paper is everything that you would want from a guy to go from his rookie season to his sophomore season. If we're going to call it that um, I'm going to call it that. And, and he did, I mean, he played 20% more snaps in 2020 than he did in 2019. You know, you hope that goes up again next season potentially because when he was on the field, he produced, he went from, you know, two sacks to five, 21 tackles to 35, three tackles for a loss to five, you know, more quarterback hits, more quarterback knockdowns, like everything has steadily increased. And again, when you get more playing time and you start to sort of understand the game more and you're learning behind guys like Zadarius and Preston Smith, then you are going to sort of put the work has been put in for it to be produced on the field. Now, that could have not been the case. I think there's a lot of people out there who thought that he was a bust. Um, but it, it shows when you give a guy time and you give a guy the opportunity, he's going to capitalize on it. Um, I think that I, I don't know whether this season is a fluke for Preston Smith or 2019 is a fluke for Preston Smith. I don't think we will know. 
But I think the emergence of Rashawn and the fact that Zadarius Smith even got close to replicating his 2019 season. I mean, he still had a dominant season. He's probably top five in the league in all numbers. Um, shows that we have one of the best vets and one of the most promising young guys. And I think for for a really important group of players, a position group, if you will, in edge rushers in this league right now, like the Packers are in a really good spot. Um, so I think they got what they wanted in 2020 out of this position group minus somewhat of a disappointing start to the season from Preston Smith. Yeah. And there's a part of me like looking back at the season now that wonders if Preston would have benefited from the same kind of treatment that we saw Mike Patton give to Christian Kirksey and Chris Barnes, where it was like, okay, we have to take less or take more off of Christian Kirksey's let him do less and let him really thrive in the roles that he's been given. And I think we've seen that the last couple of weeks, his numbers have significantly improved. He's looked a lot better being able to play a will linebacker instead of being the every down back, which I don't think he was very suited for in that middle linebacker spot, even though he did play it previously, of course. But I kind of wonder if the same would be true with Preston and Rashawn, where you give Rashawn some more snaps, you let Preston come in on, you know, obvious rushing situations. Maybe when you want to rush four or even five, you get all three of them out there at the same time. But, you know, I just, it, they talked about in the middle of the season, kind of lighting a spark under him and, you know, having Rashawn start a couple games, even though Malafleur had kind of said that that wasn't what they were doing. It felt like that's what they were doing, making a statement. And then we saw, you know, Preston's kind of opportunities increase to make plays. So I just kind of wonder if there would be anything said about giving him opportunities to just really be successful in a very specific role if we're seeing this emergence from Rashawn. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's talk, too, about we don't know where Preston is going to be next season, um, which would obviously change the nature of this conversation completely because if Preston Smith doesn't return to Green Bay, then of course Rashawn Gary is going to slide into that spot. And then there's going to be a search for a third yet again, um, potentially either in the draft or free agency. So I, I think that the future of Preston Smith is a key sort of piece in this conversation. But I think that at the end of the day, when you look at production and you see what Rashawn was able to put on the field, you say that guy deserves more time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't even know really what to say now to talk about this next player. Um, Jair Alexander has by all accounts exceeded every expectation that we had and you're okay. I know you're shaking your head, but your expectations were like astronomical and he's playing even more astronomically than we thought was possible. So I'm um, just go ahead say everything <laughs> that you need to say about Jair. Well, I think that you and I not to honestly, like you and I were spot on about what the secondary would be this season. Like we saw the signs of the pieces being put together and then you add in the hiring of Jerry gray, someone who brought, a Viking secondary to be like one of the best in the league. And you say, this feels like a recipe for an emergence. And honestly, it was, I think that there, you know, Jair was one of the best prospects, uh, cornerback prospects going into the draft. Um, he's a first round pick. I've said it before. He was my draft crush. I've never had a draft crush ever drafted by Green Bay. He gets taken and it's exciting. And you see the athleticism and the grit and the swag and the click and close speed and just like the football IQ 
And it takes time to put all that together in like, I can't even imagine what it's like to start first, you you know, you're a rookie and it's week one and you're being put out there on the field, you know? So I don't know if it's, he's, he was a starter from day one. If he is just that good that it, he deserved it. Or there's a lot of pieces I think that came together for Jair. And I think that he's a special player with a very special mindset as well. Like the way he approaches the game, it's very different. And he put it all together this year and he has become that exactly what I said, shut down, lockdown corner household name. Who's not just voted to his first pro bowl, but is going to likely be an all pro as well. Um, And, you know, it's the third year and this is when it happens. Um, but I would be remiss to sort of leave Jerry Gray's name out of this discussion because I think it says a lot that the, the year that you hire someone like him is when, you know, the star emerges in your cornerback. Yeah. And it, he, he's just been so fun. And we talked, you know, in the preseason about like, what do you need to see from him and how does he kind of put it all together? And one of the things that we had talked about was you have a ton of passes defense, but you're not getting a ton of interceptions. And this year he didn't even have the opportunity to get interceptions because he was so shut down that he was barely targeted when he, it, it was basically, I think we talked about this, uh, Jacob and Jimmy and myself on pack a day where you, you just had one side of the field that you never had to worry about. So to have that level of confidence in one of your corners where you know that that side of the field is taken care of regardless of who's lining up against him is really special. And it's something that Green Bay hasn't had in in quite a long time. So then, you know, the flip side of that obviously is Kevin King. And we had talked going into the season about, you know, what it looks like for him going into a contract year, um, how it's an audition for all 32 teams, even if Green Bay can't keep him. Um, what does his career look like? Is is 2019 kind of the best version of Kevin King? Does he plateau or is there room for him to grow as a player? And I just am not sure what I guess we saw out of him fully in 2020. I completely agree with you. He kind of fell into that strange and I thought impossible scenario where he played well and well enough that maybe you'd bring him back but actually not good enough that I think he would be priced out of Green Bay. He somehow found that sweet spot where he could be just in that range of affordability for the Packers this offseason if they didn't have other people to pay. Um, I think that there's a very strong possibility that they move on from Kevin King after this season. Again, he didn't play poorly. He did have a little bit of a regression. He played less this season because he's always seems to be hurt. Um, he did. He had five interceptions last season, which I think interceptions can really cloud a player's like all around performance because they're so splash and so impactful. Um, so you take away those five interceptions. He had none. And you see, again, that he gets targeted a little bit by quarterbacks and wide receivers. And it's not his fault. The other side of the field, like you said, is completely shut down. So what is a what is a quarterback supposed to do? They're going to throw it at Kevin King. He's not Jair Alexander. Um, but he just – it's his tackling for me that just doesn't do it. He, he doesn't do it. There's so many missed tackles. And I think he was fine in the run game, and he had his moments. But I can just see – given all the other players that the Packers have in free agency this year, them letting Kevin walk, even if they probably could afford him. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think we've seen little glimpses. Chandon Sullivan has looked really good in the second half of the season. Um, Kadar Holman, they talk about liking. And you still have guys like Vernon Scott that can float around and potentially play the nickel. So I feel like, you know, I don't know if corner would be like my my first round pick, but if there's somebody there that you really like, it just is seeming harder and harder to picture Kevin King staying with the Packers. And I think even if he is affordable, it just kind of feels like, potential for them to move on. And I kind of feel the same way about Josh Jackson. I don't know if I really see him in the, in a, in the green and gold next year, even though he has one year left on his contract. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that he could be trade bait and I think that they will likely draft a quarterback because it's just a premium position. That's yeah. always worth a draft pick. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of good ones in the first and second rounds of this draft class. So, you know, you'll have to wait until after the Packers and the Super Bowl for us to talk about all that draft content. But uh, yeah, so let's talk about um, the, the safeties because that was something I think that we had said going into the season, look in Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, you have the potential to have a top five, top three safety unit. And specifically in the month of December, we're seeing that from this Packers team. So yeah, Adrian Amos, you know, Mr. Reliable, he's incredibly consistent. One of the things we said in his progression regression was if this is who he is, the 2019 version of him, that is enough. Like he is fully capable. He is always in the right place at the right time. You never have to worry about him when he's on the field. And I still mm-hmm. think he managed to progress and be an even better version of himself in 2020. I agree with you. It's interesting when you look at the stats, he looks exactly the same, Um, like almost identical to 2019. And yet he felt more impactful in 2020 than he did in 2019 in a way. Um, And I think it just goes to show that the stats just don't tell the entire story. Um, And I think it's Andy Herman who has sort of said this over the course of the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's something that I completely agree with. And I think it's worth us talking about, which is, we have always said, you know, he's Mr. Reliable. He's always in the right place at the right time. He does everything that you ask of him. And so when you have a player like that, yeah, eventually he he's going to just finish plays. He's going to have more interceptions. He's going to have more passes defense. Like he's going to be more impactful if you're always in the right place at the right time. And so I think that's what the progression that we saw in 2020 from 2019. And I think on the flip side, you get Darnell Savage, who is just this like, ball of clay almost out of college who played all over the place at Maryland who is so versatile and so athletic and you're like how do you sculpt this person into being an impactful um, safety in the NFL and there was still some growing pains in the first half of this season like he wasn't you know doing I think what was expected of him or the role that he was in wasn't necessarily fitting his style and then again but you always had Adrian Amos there no matter what happened and then you move start to move Darnell Savage around you play him close to the line of scrimmage you put Adrian in the box sometimes you know you 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 mirror the two of them on the field and I think that they really complement each other's skill set wise in a way that they aid each other to be as impactful as possible because they're each doing you know sort of the the puzzle piece of, of what the other needs. And again, like you can't forget that Jerry Gray came in this off season. Like there is a reason why the secondary is playing the way that they are. 
And I think it, it, you have to give props to him. So, you know, Darnell Savage comes in and in the second half of the season now has four interceptions, 12 passes defense, but also a sack. You know, he's really high in tackles on the team. He's got tackles for a loss. You know, he's all over the field and he's playing in a hate to do this comparison because it's such high praise, but he's sort of this interesting hybrid of like Nick Collins athleticism and Charles Woodson's diverse skill set. Exactly. Um, where you watch, you saw Charles Woodson get moved around in the same way that they're using Darnell Savage. And again, it's, it's, it's ridiculously high praise to put that on a, a player in their second season. Like I'm not, I'm not making that comp. I'm just saying the way that they're using him reminds me of what they used to do with Charles Woodson. Um, and it's working. And I just have been like really, really impressed with the two of them. And it was maybe a leap, I think, for us to say they could be one of the best safeties, safety tandems in the league next season. But like then they were. So, yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that we talked about in saying that they could be a really good safety tandem was just the way that the secondary was coming together and the cohesion. And I'm glad you keep mentioning Jerry Gray because we hear Adam Stenovich and Justin Outen. And there's a lot of really good offensive coaches that are getting a ton of praise for the work that they're doing with the offensive line or the tight ends, Ben Sermons with the running backs. But you don't often hear Jerry Gray, which is kind of surprising because he was such a huge acquisition for the Packers defense. And I don't know what's going to happen with Mike Pettin. I don't know if winning the Super Bowl for the Screen Bay team would keep him here. We've talked about this. You kind of feel like maybe not. And maybe Matt LaFleur wants his own guy. I, I would tend to agree with you there and think that think similarly, but if they are looking ever for a defensive coordinator in Green Bay, I feel like Jerry Gray has to be an in-house uh, interview at, at at the very minimum. Yeah, 100%. Him or Mike Smith. Yeah, I, Mike Smith would be a lot of fun. Um, but then, okay, to wrap this up, we have one more player, and that is Christian Kirksey. And because he was out in 2019, we were not able to give those stats. So what we did was we found a healthy 2017 season and kind of looked at maybe what his ceiling would be. This was his best statistical season. He played all 16 games. He played hundred percent of the snaps. Um, and I think all things considered going into 2020, um, I had a lot of expectations for him. If you've listened to the show before, you know that I was pretty high on him from what I'd seen with him in Cleveland. And I think injuries kind of took a toll on what the expectations were. Um, it's unfortunate. It happens to players. And I think that's why we're seeing almost a resurgence these last couple of weeks is because he doesn't have to do everything that he did in the beginning of his career. And I think having a guy like Chris Barnes, having even Kamal Martin who can spell him, he's being put in really good positions that match the skill set that he has now and not the skill set that he had then. So I guess holistically, I don't know what my expectations were if I thought he would come in and kind of just replace Blake Martinez and that would be it. And it would just be a plateau of exact replacement. But I think what we've seen the last couple of weeks is reason to be accepting of the signing. Yeah, I agree. I think that it took some time to figure Christian Kirksey out. And I think that if he hadn't gotten hurt, we may have seen this level of play a little bit earlier because it did feel like they had to the in, inside linebacker position has just been a question mark for a long time. And so to finally have three, not one, but three kind of exciting athletic two young prospects to sort of work with, um, it just takes a little bit of figuring out, but it, it, like you said, it looks like it's kind of coming together in a way at the right time um, in the last month or so. Um, I think my only like additional thought is just that I haven't been this excited about a, 
the inside linebacker position group for the Packers in quite some time. Um, there hasn't been this much sort of hope in young players as we've seen in Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin. So when we signed Christian Kirksey, there was that expectation like, okay, I guess this is the guy now because Blake Martinez is gone, you know, swippity swap. And <laughs> now we have young guys that we didn't know would emerge from the draft and also undrafted free agency. So um, I think they, if nothing else, the Packers have set them up to have like a really nice position group for 2021. Yeah. And I, by no means am saying that I don't think the media is listening or things like that, but I saw a mock draft today and obviously it's early, but the Packers took a linebacker in the first round. And I just, it was so surprising to me because we have Chris Barnes now and Kamal Martin and whether or not Christian Kirksey is a Packer in 2021, you know, you feel, I agree with you. I feel really strongly about this core for the first time in a while. And I don't know what happens with Ty Summers or Oren Burks, or maybe they draft somebody in the fourth or fifth round again to kind of be that third rotational piece for this Packers defense. But it was just surprising to me that the, the narrative around this team is that they still need an inside linebacker when we've seen historically that the Packers will not draft that position very high and that it's not something yeah. that they value on the draft board. Yeah, so. that is interesting. So, I mean, in general, though, progression or regression from the defense? Progression. I mean, I think I, I don't know how to describe it as far as like statistically, but it just feels like there's less fear when the defense is on the field this year. And, you know, we've seen the secondary kind of limit quarterbacks to less yardage this year. Um, the edge rush is kind of containing running backs. You know, you specifically have talked about the fact that Rashawn Gary is just about everywhere. The ball carrier is at all times, whether it's in the backfield or kind of in the middle of the defense dropping into limited coverage of those players. And I, yeah, I feel much better about the chances of this defense keeping a team in games than I did last season. Yeah. I mean, they're, they ended as a top 10 defense in the league for the first time since 2010. So it's pretty safe to say that they've made a, a nice progression. It just took a little bit of time, I think over the course of the season. But peaking yeah. at the right time is all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Getting hot in December is always the right thing to do. So Perry, I think we are out of time on this show and it's kind of spooky because this was just about exactly the length of the episode 20 progression regression show. Um, so we're kind of eerily similar to that episode, but so Perry, if everybody listening at home wants to follow all of your fantastic work on social media, how can they do that? Just follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. All of my work and content is there and please follow the podcast at PWSS podcast on Twitter as well. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. You can find all of my writing and all the other random stuff that I do through that Twitter as well. Uh, we will, because we announced this a couple weeks ago and then we didn't put it on Twitter, we'll be announcing a t-shirt giveaway uh, for the playoffs. So all you need to do is check back on Twitter um, Saturday before a wildcard weekend kicks off, follow the podcast on Twitter and retweet there, and you will be entered to win a Pax What She Said t-shirt. And the winner will be announced right before the divisional round of the playoffs. So thank you as always for listening to Pax What She Said. Go Pack. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.